Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, November 18th, and we're wrapping up Crossover Week with a chat about some of the more advanced ways people are placing orders. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by the host of the Consumer Goods Show, Vincent Shen. Vince, how's it going? I'm doing well, Dylan. How are you? It's pretty fun to have you next to me in the studio. I mean, this this goes back to like maybe eight months ago was the last time we did a show together back in like the the tech days when you would sw- sub in for Sean. Yeah, uh, I think back to the days of doing the CG show, for example, with Sean. And this is my third show now. I mentioned this on the previous episode of having someone in studio to actually talk to in person while uh, shooting the podcast. And it makes such a huge difference compared to when you have someone calling in from Skype or something. And uh, it I generally find it just be much more easier to have a, take a conversational tone, and and the it, the discussion is just much more additive that way. Yeah, I'm always worried that I'm going to cut off Evan or Daniel Sparks on the tech show because they're calling. It yeah, on Skype exactly. So they're out in Colorado, but um, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the intersection of tech and CG, and namely, uh, kind of picking up on a conversation that you and Asit Sharma had on a CG show about a month ago, talking about loyalty programs and kind of the more integrated tech solutions that some of the kind of big consumer players are adopting. Uh, I think the one that kind of spawned the show and the idea was the Amazon Dash buttons. Yes. And uh, you want to give some background on this for listeners that maybe haven't encountered them before? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, these buttons, uh, just in case you've never even heard of it, picture um, something maybe the size of like a USB thumb drive. And it'll have some major brand of consumer household item Think Tide detergent, Clorox, or as we'll see, it branches out into things like Coca-Cola, Gatorade, a lot of products now. And so these have been available since uh, April Fool's Day, so April first of 2015. Interesting date to launch something like this. Yeah, a lot of people actually did think it was kind of a joke at the beginning, but um, you know, this little button um, you can press it, and essentially it's connected to your Wi-Fi, and it will automatically place an order. Uh, for whatever that item is, whatever the brand item is, and uh, these buttons cost four ninety nine each. But once you place that first order, Amazon will credit you for four ninety nine. So in the end, you can call it uh, essentially a free button or a free little device, so long as you use it exactly. And I think the hook here is convenience, right? Uh, on for the consumer side, you have something that's right there. If you're doing your laundry, you're at a detergent. It does seem very appealing to have this button that you can just press, and from that point on, uh, maybe in a day, if you are in the right market and the distribution center is really close, or within 48 hours. Uh, and the thing is, the dash buttons are only available to Prime members, mm. so you can have something restocked very quickly. And uh, in terms of the the dash program and how much it has grown, originally when it start, excuse me, when it started, it only had. You know, a couple dozen options, I think, in terms of different products. I went through and, uh, and counted. There's uh, over 150 different buttons now available across six different pro- uh, product categories. That's incredible. Yeah. So that includes household supplies. So think uh, what I mentioned Tide, Clorox, Hefty Bags, uh, and then beverage and groceries. So you might get Red Bull or Folgers Coffee, health and personal care, beauty, pet supplies, and kids and baby. So, yeah. I think what you see with a lot of these is. <laughs> they're all non-perishable for the most part, or they're products that have a shelf life of like a month and a half. So, yep. so it's nothing that's going to spoil. And a lot of them tend to be in the um, house cleaning or personal maintenance or th- something kind of along those lines. Mm-hmm. One of those product categories. 
Um, I know it always seems like I'm never fully stocked with paper towels or something like that. And and I envision this kind of being their dream scenario, right? Where like you go to grab another roll of paper towels from the pantry, you see you only have one or two left, and you hit the button to order more so that they're there before you don't have any. Yeah. So that's what I think the company hopes is the how consumers at least see the value add. The idea that you run out of something, the button's right there and you can place that order, and you really just take the entire process of shopping out of the picture. Um, I think that's a huge benefit for Amazon, um, having that convenience, but also they can kind of track your usage, and at the same time, you don't really see what the price is. So you can get a notification in terms of practical usage. You can get a notification after you place an order, see how much it was, and adjust accordingly. And the thing is, for some of the items, there might be different package sizes. So if you're ordering razors, for example, you might be able to order a three pack or a six pack, uh, and you have to you can kind of change that in your settings. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, the idea is you are not making that trip to the grocery store. You're not walking down the aisle, kind of the way you described. You're not walking down the aisle. You don't see what's on sale. You don't see any new products in the area. You're very tied to these big name brands from very uh, large consumer goods companies like Procter and Gamble, uh, Clorox, Unilever. They are the ones that kind of make this relationship work with Amazon, and they're very happy about that because you know when you put this button up, you basically have a mini billboard for that brand in each person's home. It's kind of a big brand's dream, right? Yes. You know, you <laughs> you're eliminating the possibility of any store brand or generic or something like that catching a customer's eye because they're twenty cents cheaper. Yep. You know, and you're making what would be maybe um, a purchase that involved some thought something that's kind of automatic and a little bit more programmed. Mm-hmm. So to give an idea of what the breakdown is here in terms of brands, I'm guessing most of the big consumer goods conglomerates are involved in this. Yes, um, and it seems like P and G has uh, they break down the share of buttons by um, by sales, and P and G is up top there with 31 percent, huh? Yeah. So I have to note that this data is from like the early launch period uh, of. May 2015 to January 2016. So this is a point. This is before they rolled out a lot of new brands. But just to give people an idea, uh, you know, you have like you mentioned, you have Procter and Gamble. Their share of just the buttons sold. So that's not uh, product sales using buttons. It's it's the actual buttons sold. Okay, uh, was 31 percent. Next biggest was Kimberly Clark. Yeah, I think I misspoke. I said Unilever. Kimberly Clark is second with 14 percent. You have Clorox at 11.7 percent. And then once you get into kind of food and beverage, Pepsi is there with 7.5 percent. Coca Cola almost 4 percent. So again, this is before a lot of products rolled out, but in the end. It does give you an idea of the fact that you know these are really uh, these are some of the biggest I think household names out there in terms of branding for products, and those that's who Amazon is trying to partner with. I think initially, actually, there was like a two hundred thousand dollar sign up fee if you wanted to get in on this as a brand. Yeah, and the way that Amazon makes their money is uh, they these companies will pay Amazon fifteen dollars for every button sold. Really, and then they will also, and then Amazon will of course take a fifteen percent of each sale, and that's in addition to the normal commission that Amazon collects for things that you sell through their marketplace, right? right. So potentially, if the volume reaches that point, it can be quite lucrative. And the thing is, I think for these consumer products companies, you know, that seems like a lot of money to have to pay to get in on this, but at the same time, again, you maintain that top of mind awareness with consumers, right? The buttons right there, and 
you know, Amazon's obviously proven itself very capable of upending a lot of industries, a lot of ways that people shop. And I think in some cases, you know, they just want to maintain this partnership with Amazon and get in on the ground floor if something like this eventually really takes off. See, I was surprised by that because I just had naturally kind of assumed that this was something Amazon was doing as a loss leader. And they were saying, you know what, we're going to give out these devices. It probably takes you know, 50 cents or something like that to manufacture them at scale, 25 cents to manufacture them at scale. Um, we will effectively make them free for Prime members, and we'll make it up on volume. I didn't realize that the brands were giving them that 15 per There's bounty. a pretty significant payout, as you can see. Yeah, so, that, so they're collecting from the brands, and then if people don't use them, they're also collecting the five bucks there. Yep. So, uh, I wanted to also touch on some initial uh, feedback. I went on uh, went online trying to find a response from I've never used Dash personally, but just trying to find some uh, I guess reception or feedback reviews for how this works. If it is really that satisfying, feels that convenient, and it seems like there's some mixed results. And uh, beyond per, uh, you know a single person's experience, the Wall Street Journal had a really interesting report. So there was some market research from a place called Slice Intelligence. Um, so they said that on the one hand. Uh, for Dash adopters that are using their buttons, the results actually might not be as encouraging as Amazon wants them to be. Uh, they say that less than half of people who purchase Dash buttons have actually placed an order using the device. That's surprising because you're paying the five bucks. Exactly, and um, you know, for the people who do make a purchase, they only make one maybe once every two months. So that's not really doesn't seem that indicative of the volume that you kind of mentioned that could really make this something that it's driving maybe some bottom line earnings for Amazon. But on the flip side, I think it was TechCrunch. They reported that Amazon, you know, always very murky with their numbers. They kind of hold things very close to the chest. Yeah, it wasn't until you know about a year ago that they broke out AWS, which was this ridiculously profitable segment. Exactly right. So the thing for them, they said that Dash orders are coming in more than once per minute, and then 1010 data, which is where we got some of that market share data for the buttons. They also mentioned, you know, based on these millions of consumers that they kind of have in their panel, it's where they get this data. They can track their kind of like online and e-commerce behavior. They said that. Dash button sales were actually up triple digits uh, from you know early 2016 over when it first launched. So obviously small base, but you know you would think that you know over 200% growth, for example, would be pretty encouraging. But overall, you know conflicting reports essentially, and we won't know because I doubt this is something that Amazon will ever really get that granular with in terms of their reporting. But overall, I think it's just that a very interesting idea about uh, where companies like Amazon are trying to take. The shopping experience in terms of just making it that streamlined. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of shifting decision making, right? Like yeah. that, that's really the idea here. Um, is Amazon kind of the only game in town for big brands that are looking to do this, or are there other options? So, honestly, even within Amazon's own ecosystem, they're kind of starting to compete with themselves in this extent. You know, Amazon Echo. You can place orders through it now, right? So this could, you know, even you know, essentially, quote unquote, cannibalize from their own Dash platform. But they're just looking to get in your home, no matter how they do exactly. it, right? But uh, beyond uh, beyond that one company, uh, there are a few competitors, and I think they are taking a few different approaches, uh, and it's pretty interesting. So one is currently in market. It's called. It's spelled H I K U. I think it's the Haiku, right? Uh, and it sells for forty nine dollars. You can get it on Amazon, uh, of course. Coincidentally, <laughs> you can get it from Walmart, for example. And so this is a handheld device. You connect it to your Wi Fi, and you're pretty much ready to go from that point. So you basically can either scan the barcode on your carton of milk, 
on your Oreo cookies, whatever like you would it is. at the supermarket, exactly. Basically. And that will sync with an app on your phone and create a list. And then you can also dictate into the device as well and say like uh, bananas, for example, and it will recognize that and add it to your list. And the idea is. You have this one-stop shopping list, so everybody in your house can use this whenever they need something. And then when that one person goes on Saturday or Sunday or whatever to the grocery store, they have everything, and it's updated um, through the app, through Wi-Fi, so it's up to date. And then, on the other hand, uh, I think what is more similar in terms of the Dash program is they've partnered with Walmart Grocery and with Peapod, the delivery service for groceries. And so you can scan those items and potentially order them directly from the app as well through Peapod. Um, so kind of similar in that you're taking what would be a routine purchase and making it kind of effortless. Yeah, it's almost like you're taking that um, cash register aisle experience at the grocery store and you're moving it to your own kitchen, right? Because you have this device. You scan things, and then you can just go on your phone and potentially hit that order button and have it be your doorstep in the next day, two, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the the issues there, I think, is that that all works in theory, but you know this is a smaller player. They're still, I think, developing, and they're they're private, right? Yes. Yeah. And so they're still trying to develop, uh, I think, some of the infrastructure that they need. So I saw some feedback, for example, on Amazon. They mentioned that the Walmart grocery, ever with a site update. Everything that works with this Haiku device broke, oh. and then with the Peapod delivery service, you know that's limited to certain markets. Um, you know, I checked the site; it's uh, available around places like Chicago, major markets like New York, around Washington D.C. Um, you know, basically around the Northeast. And um, well, when when you're banking on other people for fulfillment, whether they be Walmart or Peapod in this situation, you're limited to uh, their physical presence in the case yeah, of exactly. Peapod or. Any technical difficulties they might incur, exactly. Walmart, right? But on that note, though, I will say that there is some promise to this in that you know even with Walmart Grocery, delivery has always been a challenge. Uh, even Amazon, which launched its fresh program like back in 2007, look out how slowly and conservatively they've been relative to their usual mo uh, that they've rolled that out. But if you look at Walmart Grocery, though, and you look at the curbside pickup service, which has really taken off in the past year. Um, that could be something where this a device like this is you know you do the scanning you get that order in and you drive to pick it up and I think it also that kind of convenience even if you have to drive to the store to pick it up since it has such a ubiquitous presence right there's so many WalMarts in this country uh, it also works a little bit for Amazon you know I think it was just the last episode I was speaking with Dan Klein about how they kind of want to open this huge network of potential you know, convenience stores or supermarkets, essentially, and drive-through, for example, is a huge part of that, because they hope that it's something that it's like, oh, I'm on my way home from work, I'll stop at the store, my order will be ready, drive-through, pick it up, and again, it's just part of their efforts to, to, to hook you. Uh, it's kind of like not a loyalty program, but just this convenience aspect. Yeah, once you kill brick and mortar, you can iterate on brick and mortar. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anybody else in the space people should be watching for just to kind of see um, maybe some of the cues that Amazon might pick up from them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, this second one is called Quick, and I really like the approach they're taking. I think it's much more sustainable. Uh, so, basically, the way they describe themselves is an open end to end IoT platform, IoT's Internet of Things. Uh, connecting retailers, brands, and delivery providers. We enable brands to develop direct relationships with consumers in their homes. So, this is a startup based in Israel. 
Um, they have a pilot program right now, and I think they've partnered with some pretty big brands like Huggies Diapers, Domino's, and uh, even Anheuser-Busch for like a beer button. But the idea here that is... That sounds dangerous. Yeah, that a is beer really button. dangerous. <laughs> but um, the idea here is they give companies an existing like system or an infrastructure to ing- integrate into their own operations. So... Uh, the business model, the buttons would be free to consumers. Quick would take a cut of each transaction and then provide some their service to a company like uh, Procter and Gamble. And the idea is, this allows the companies that are making the goods to maintain their own fulfillment, delivery, and payment partners. And then Quick is just like that middleman that will connect everything and give you the infrastructure to get everything into place. So it's more of a platform play. Exactly. And uh, they even mention in their marketing on their site, they're still you know kind of a startup, and uh, they're only sending out demos right now for within the United States. But they view the U.S. as their big market opportunity. And um, the thing is, they mention specifically that it's not just potentially buttons, but also. Potentially, just a you know an app or a button on your phone, because the idea is you it as convenient because as convenient as it could be having uh, the button on your dish on your dishwasher for more uh, detergent or or dishwashing soap or whatever it may be, having everything consolidated in one place on your phone potentially in a folder. And as we'll see with the next topic we discussed, could be could take that to a whole nother level essentially. Yeah. So so uh, working on the physical side and the digital side, making sure that they have both their bases covered. Yep. Um, you mentioned Domino's as someone that was working with Quick. I think that to switch gears a little bit, they are one of the companies that you watch and you're like, I can't believe the pivot that they've made to yep. digital. And in a lot of ways, they've kind of become the gold standard for uh, kind of the Older, whether they be quick serve or kind of delivery oriented businesses, pivoting and entering the digital app age, mm-hmm. and they've done an incredible job. Yeah. So here, you know, we've talked about these other platforms where they will partner with a ton of different companies, but now you have a single company that offers. I know they're just Domino's now because they're trying to market the fact that they don't just have pizza. But in the end, this is a much more specific offering. They sell salads now. (laughs) (laughs) They've made that very clear in their advertisements. So the thing is, you know, so this is their core product. Obviously, is with pizza. But even then, they're trying to to get into this space in terms of adopting a lot of technology to make it as convenient as possible for people to order. Management recently mentioned that they have, I think, 16 or 17 different consumer access points, which is essentially different ways that somebody can place an order with the company, which is kind of absurd. That's incredible. And uh, you know, they, you know, this is a worldwide uh, huge presence, right? They have 12,500 locations in over 80 markets all over the world. And the the thing is, company this size, they have 4.7 billion dollars in annual digital sales. So this isn't just some, you know, small part of the operation. They mentioned that for you in the United States market specifically, digital orders make up over half of total sales. And that was for 2015. And some of their international partners, their franchises, they're well ahead of that apparently. So the penetration level of their digital efforts is is really impressive. And you you look at the different options. They refer to it as Domino's anywhere. It's almost comical the the number of different ways that you can order a Domino's pizza. Um, you can use Facebook Messenger. Uh, you can use Amazon Echo. You can text. Uh, you can tweet, which is something that we might talk about in a little bit. Um, I think the one that is most surprising is this zero-click uh, app, basically. Yep. And so, um, 
kind of similar to where it sounds like Quick might be pushing people sure. down the road. There is a Domino's app that exists on your phone, and it's basically a tile. You click it, and as soon as you enter the app, a, an egg timer starts counting down from 10 seconds. And if you don't stop it in the 10 seconds, it will place your saved order through the nearest Domino's location, and we'll pay for it, and yep. it's ready to go. Um, that's insane. And they're all they're doing is looking to remove friction at any point they can. Yeah. So I think you, know, you should. You can also. You we should caveat that actually because you went through the process of creating a profile. So in order to have this level of convenience, though, there is um, a little bit of like a disclaimer in that you need to go into your profile, set one up from the get go, and then you know put in what your preferred pizza order is in order for something like that zero click option to work. Right. Like they famously advertised and you know when I saw this I was like this is so stupid. But like the the <laughs> idea that the idea that you can just tweet at Domino's with a pizza emoji and be good to go and, and order a pizza. Um, I went through their online kind of like profile building to see what that looks like and like it takes a couple minutes. But you look at the information they collect. They get your general info, your payment info, your location, and then your kind of like easy order pie or your easy order with more built-out stuff. So, say you want like a pizza, wings, uh, dessert, and soda, or something like that. That's kind of your go-to order. Yep. So, anytime you enter that key, uh, the, the pizza emoji in this case, uh, that's what you're asking for. And once you do that, they're banking on you being able to just fall back on that and have it kind of similar to the dash button become part of your everyday routine. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's looking to take things that might sometimes be a consideration into oh it's Thursday night why don't we just order the standard order we always get from Domino's and not only that it only requires me to just flick my thumb one time essentially if you have that set up to place that order that does even more in my opinion than the dash button that really takes it to a, the point where it's truly removing all of that. Thought process out of a purchase, and that can be pretty powerful for any of these companies. Yeah, I and mean, these companies want you to become routine. Like mm-hmm. they, they want to be a part of what you do week to week, day to day, and and so I get that. I think one of the things that's kind of interesting, um, you know, we have no idea really what these different channels do for Domino's. Um, I'm hoping in time that we'll get a little commentary on what's more on the gimmick side. Yeah, of these different access points, which ones are really actually. Uh, Driving most of those digital sales, right? Because my hunch is that, you know, of the, was it 16, 18? 16 or 17, yeah. Yeah. Of those 16 or 17, four of them probably contribute 80% to 90%. Or more, frankly, yeah. Yeah. Um, But something that uh, I think management keeps in mind quite a bit is the different elements that play into the ticket, and the ticket being a standard order. Um, And so they see that digital ordering generally uh, tends to be higher. And so, if you're ordering online, um, your tickets tend to be larger. I think part of that is you have the whole menu in front of you, rather than ordering over the phone where you're saying, I want this pizza, and I want this soda, and I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. I think the options for add-ons uh, are just better, you know, because you have that full suite right in front of you. Um, as you get people into more programmed-type decisions, and you're continuing to add new products, so, you know, in the example of them deciding to roll out salads, um, you need to build in nudges to get people to revisit those saved preferences so that they can build on those. Otherwise, you know, you're you're keeping people kind of at a set price point with their sure. ticket. You know, the the counter is maybe they make that up on volume and, and that's kind of how they justify that. Mm-hmm. But um I, I do think that's something that's kind of interesting to keep in mind. Yeah. And I think uh 
Domino's recent they recently rolled out a true a more traditional loyalty program again something that we've discussed on the CG show multiple times now and with theirs it's pretty attractive in my opinion you know any order over 10 bucks gives you 10 points once you uh, add up to or once you've gained over 60 points then you get a free medium two topping pizza that's that's really not bad that's pretty solid and um, again that might be the kind of thing where the frequency of your orders Gets you into the loyalty program because you see how quickly you're building up points, and it just becomes this additive cycle and can make people very regular customers. Well, and you start doing the math. You're right. You're right. You're like, oh, I uh, I need to order four times, and then I have my free one coming, and yeah. and you know you you start getting that kind of gamified version of um, of habits, and it can totally transform how consumers behave. Yep. And uh, if you uh, one more point I wanted to make uh, before we wrap up here, in in terms of Dominoes and how they've been so effective, I think, in rolling out they these different uh, consumer access points as they call them, and also how they've really grown revenue quite well over the past few years. Stocks done quite well; as, uh, it's traded up and made some really nice gains too. Is the fact that uh, this technology focus really permeates, I think, the entire company. The way they describe it is that they basically instituted this proprietary point of sale system. Because if you think about it, this is a franchise model. They have almost 5,000 locations in the United States. They only operate 400 of them. Really? About. Wow. That's so tiny. you take when you look at that, you think, well, what about all these franchisees? They have to deal with all these new uh, technological rollouts. We've heard of things like from McDonald's, all these different things they try. Franchisees kind of get pissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, having some of that technology developed in-house, like this point of sale system, allows them to integrate uh, zero click or uh, Facebook Messenger orders. Into that system much more easily because they basically uh, control all the gears and the levers there. Yeah, so and all of that's centralized, and then it can it can kind of trickle down to the local branches. Exactly, and I think that's been a really important part of how they've been able to test and experiment with some of these crazy ideas without really, uh, you know, messing up the core operation, day to day operations for a lot of their franchises. And I think while you know we don't know what the contribution is, whether we're looking at. Uh, the dash buttons for Amazon, or some of these seemingly more gimmicky type things that Domino's mm-hmm. does. Um, one, it gets us talking about these brands, and it gets these brands in the news. I can't, I can't even count the number of you know first person um, articles that I read talking about like I tried the Amazon dash button, or I tried the Domino's yep. you know tweet uh, to order a pizza. Experience and this is how it went, and um, it's buzz building for the brands, and, absolutely, and ultimately probably not that expensive to roll out. So um, you know, even if it's not something that meaningfully contributes to the top or bottom line, uh, it certainly gets people talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else before I let you go, Vince? No, I I think that if you are interested in any of this that we talked about, especially with Dash, because it's so easy to get, it can be free for you, right? Like if you're ordering, um, you know, some household good anyway, and you're curious, I say try it out, and we'd love to hear from you too. Yeah, I think um, if any listeners do have any of these products or have ordered through any of these means, let us know. Uh, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. You can always tweet us at mfindustryfocus. Um, if you're going to look for more of our stuff, you can always subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at podcast.com or podcast.fool.com. While you're there, check out our flagship service, Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Today, the new issue of Stock Advisor comes out with two new stock recommendations for da- from David and Tom Gardner. Uh, you can check it out by going to the Podcast Center and scrolling down to the bottom of the page. That's podcast.fool.com. 
As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. From Vincent Shen, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.